All right. So I don't really know how I feel <laughs> about tattoo. I'm not really sure how I should feel about tattoo. And I'm also incredibly confused about what exactly happened in tattoo. So just, just forget I, I think, about it. It's not worth talking about. We can move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to, but we've never done that before in the history of truck about, and we're never going to. <clears> so I, I, I figure like this, we, sh- we, I figure we get one and we are keeping this one that we just can completely ignore. And I wonder if we're ever going to use it, but yes, it, 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 tattoo is not bad enough that we need to use our nuclear option yet. No. And that's, I mean, that's what it really comes down to for me is that I don't think this episode is bad. And yeah. until you get to the last, uh, a montage about how yeah. Indians are actually aliens or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the episode as a Chakotay episode about telling us about Chakotay. Yes. I, but I needed to make a lot of double think in this episode because I, – so we talked a couple weeks ago about how the advisor on Chakotay's character and the you know Native American lore aspects of it, how he turned out to be just a dude who read one book and saw a bunch of John Wayne movies and managed to con himself into a job. So in a way, all of the cultural stuff – is science fiction slash fantasy here, right? I mean, this is not a... We have to almost pretend that... I mean, this episode is a lot better if I pretend that Chakotay is an alien from another planet who they have tribes that are similar to certain real-life Earth tribes, but they are different because none of this really has any basis in reality. And it is fine as that in an exploration of... Chakotay's background and all of that. Um, And I would be okay with that, except for the fact that the rubber tree people that Chakotay and his father and their friends find on their expedition into the South American jungle appear to be aliens. Yeah, well, it's it's the kind of thing where... I mean, you said you were a little confused on the plot. My understanding of the backstory is that you have... Now we're going to have to accept the episode's face value statement that, A, these people had no culture, but B, great respect for life. I mean, to me, that does suggest that they did have a culture. I mean, the the, the alien's description well, of that is a little condescending, but basically we have a two... I, I mean, I, I, will, I will only say about that that I think that in general the idea of, of Native American or Native cultures in general having a great respect for the land yeah. as some sort of strange virtue signaling I, I, I find objectionable. Now, do I find it offensive? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a Native American. I'm not a Native person. I'm not an Indian, so... I'm not going to pretend yeah. to be offended on their behalf, but I do find it a little bit of a cliche, and I will leave it at that. Oh, the, I mean, well, again, keep in mind that this, the, the advisor on this was somebody who didn't know his shit, and so if this stuff does come off as cliche, that's the well he was drawing from. He wasn't, he wasn't drawing from actual scholarship and actual traditions let's say i mean i don't i don't want to go down into a road of, of impugning the motives of the people that worked on star trek voyager behind the scenes mm. but that doesn't it in some respects seem to you like this the only way that this man could have conned these people into thinking that this was actually a native american culture and that he was actually some sort of native expert 
had to do with the fact that that these were a bunch of white people that didn't know anything about native cultures and so when this when this guy was telling them essentially all of the cliches about native american culture that were actually true they just kind of bought into it i I, unthinkingly i mean let's assume that this guy is a really good showman like he goes and he's able to speak very well and charismatically about well here and we could have the rubber tree people and this could be i mean maybe they yes but yeah but if if someone came to me and and said that they were an expert on french culture and they said that all french people walk around wearing berets all the french men have mustaches and they ride bikes with huge baguettes in (laughs) them all the time i would say you're full of shit yeah no and i feel like you would have probably said that in 1990 whatever this year what year 798 what year are we at 95 95 oh my god um yeah i feel like you probably would have said that in 1995 or you you know in your 30s at the time but it's it's very unthought yeah it's not really uh, it it smacks of laziness it smacks of nobody thought to fact check a bunch of this stuff they didn't give this to an intern and said hey just check the sources on this and make sure that this is lining up with reality you don't right. you know you don't need to be an expert to check a couple of things and see that and maybe i i mean i don't know if uh, maybe i should have done some fact checking i don't know if the rubber tree people are real are based on an actual culture or just something made up and could be to the effect of well we're going to create the rubber tree people and they're grabbing you know, a half dozen spiritual practices from this tribe, this tribe, this nation, this kind of a thing. Um, I mean, that could have been the way they were creating this to be fictional, but sort of like a few different things. I don't know. I mean, I just did a quick Google search for rubber tree people, and the only things that come up are Star Trek related. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the rubber tree people are not real. Now, uh, I mean, aside from all that, I think I think the other level deep to this, of course, is the revelation that I don't know, like Native American culture was founded by aliens. Like, yeah, I don't well, this is. I mean, it's doing something similar to two thousand one in 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 that some kind of greater intellig- uh, alien intelligence saw the potential for life on Earth and decided to elevate it and whatever is fine but it is a little condescending that they had to have their culture created and given to them i mean that 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 that, what what happened because what happened in real life is that culture developed naturally from people eventually settling down and repeating certain practices and all of that again how culture actually happened aliens did not come and give it to them well, right, exactly, and I mean, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna extrapolate this out based on information that I have picked up over the years. I am not a Native American expert, nor do I claim to be, unlike the man that worked on Star <laughs> Trek Voyager. But to to me, what this really speaks to is the idea that Native peoples are are better than you know Western industrialized people or whatever. They're more childlike, better more and worse at the same time. Better morally and spiritually. I mean, this is the noble savage archetype, right? That there is some kind of uh, Rousseauian natural state that is more divine and pure, and how humans should be, and us with our intelligence and our books, and we're and our sciences, and we're really bad people. But does any? I mean, does this? Does anybody ever look at the noble savage archetype and 
take the criticism of our own industrial society seriously. Anybody who reads one of I mean, I think people that go to Burning Man do. <laughs> Fair. But, you know, they're objectionable for other reasons that have nothing to do with that. <laughs> sorry if you go to Burning Man. <clears throat> but actually, I'm not sorry because you're horrible. <laughs> um, I've thought about going to Burning Man. No. Um, <laughs> the Well, this is the end of this podcast. <laughs> Well, okay, and, yeah. and the other the the other part of this that I, I I think we need to grapple with for about thirty seconds is the fact that the aliens are literally white. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are just so many layers <laughs> upon layers. Once you start talking about this episode, that that just I'm more and more just I, I'm not even like I said I'm not even uh, offended. I'm just sort of like a god. It, it, it feels this. it yeah. It well, it feels like the kind of thing where if. I am sure, you know, we. I, I'm sure that somebody who saw this episode said something to the people who wrote this episode, like, "Wait, really?" And I'm sure the people and producers said, "Oh shit, I didn't even think of that." Which, like, it doesn't. It's 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 problematic, not in a deliberate or thought about or conscious way. It's just one of those. It's lazy. It's it's it it, right. it is the kind of thing where if it's problematic, it's because they are subconsciously picking up on the problematic aspects of the larger culture and just parrot parroting them because every culture does have unspoken assumptions which which do just come into their art, which is part of it. And we are seeing twenty maybe with the distance of twenty years later, maybe with the fact that you and I have very different. Uh, philosophical and political ideas that may then maybe were going on in at this point in the 90s but i don't know it well just, i mean i i i think that in general i i look at that i mean i i think that part of that is true certainly and i think that that there is a certain laziness to it but at the same time i i think that in in the writer's room of voyager and amongst the production staff of voyager when they were developing the show in 1993 1994 that they had this Native American character and they yeah. wanted to I, I, I think there was more of a recognition that it wasn't okay just to say, Oh, he's a Navajo and he acts weird, right? Because they did go to the lengths of hiring a quote unquote Native American expert. Yeah. Now of course the man was not a Native American <laughs> expert, but it, it is the case that at least they were trying and there was a recognition that you you could not do what they were going to do in say nineteen sixty five with with gun smoke and just have um uh, uh, you know, have a person who looked vaguely Indian play a vague type of Indian. You could not get away with that anymore. And so they did make the they did make the attempt. And I think that having this guy basically con them and having them do such a poor job at this, I think speaks. It's more of an indictment of the larger culture of America, yeah. I think, than of anybody on the writing staff of Voyager, because. I guess at least they tried to do the right thing. And if they didn't realize that what this man was giving them was incredibly cliched, then I think that it's more to do with the fact that they just came up in a culture that does not respect or care about native culture at all. Now, it, at the same time, they, maybe they should have gotten a second opinion from another Indian yeah. expert. <laughs> but, you know, there's only so much time in the day, I guess. Yeah, I, I, only so much money in the, on the payroll and all that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the kind of thing which feels very well-meaning. And you could tell, I think their heart was in the right place. They, this is Star Trek, after all. They are. They probably did come to it from the, 
you know who's had it bad? The Native Americans. Let's, you know, let's try and rectify that in the future, because don't you have this, uh, I mean, Chakotay at one point does have this, yes, well, you know, back in the day we used to take the land from them, but now that's not the right. case anymore, when literally the Maquis is, a, is introduced, when... When literally we have a Next Generation episode which is about the land being taken from the Native Americans as part of this Cardassian horrible treaty. I mean, that does seem a little naive. (laughs) And this was never made, this this did not make it into the episode, but they did intend for Chakotay's people to be from that planet. Okay. Which I think in a kind of a way makes it worse because (laughs) the, 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 the Native tribe that chakotay appears to be a part of and the native tribe that was in that episode don't appear to be the same at yeah. all but so you have the indian planet yeah that that's a listen star trek does the science fiction thing where there is a planet and everybody is the same but even that is going a little too far for it yeah uh, now uh, leaving aside all of that i i i think that you know, it's a, it's a. I don't even know if this is a good Chakotay episode. I I, I, well, I I kind of I kind of struggle with it because I'm not really sure. His journey in this episode seems also very, very cliche as well. Yeah, I mean, I, Chakotay has a lot of complicated feelings towards his father. Right? He, when he was younger, he did not have the same cultural views as his dad in fact began to resent them i mean if it's a cliche that 16 year old chakotay you know wants fast cars and you know blonde women and his dad wants you to go and be with his people then again part of the culture this isn't and and an expert who is pulling from the cliches of things and and as he grows older and begins to drift away from his father, begins to realize what he's lost, and after his father passes away, he gets the tattoo to mark himself uh, as part of his people. Assumingly, this is when Chakotay begins to really go into finding his spirit guide and all of the uh, spiritual practices that we see him in, in having in the series. Um, and it's also when he decides to join the Maquis. We, we finally get an answer for why did Chakotay, who loves Starfleet, who is very much a Federation guy, uh, decide to join the Maquis? Well, the answer is because he was taking up his father's cause. I mean, these this, right. this is a very interesting relationship with his dad, a very uh, – something that there is a lot of meat into. I like that the episode goes into this, but – has Chakotay given us any indications of this previously? No, but I, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a, and uh, that's have a problem with that. It, it, it's not really like Chakotay has yeah. sat down with Janeway and said, let's have a conversation about our parents, you know? So yeah, just uh, as Janeway hasn't talked that much, for example, about Mark. Uh, yeah, they're, they are, or Tuvok doesn't talk about his wife and family in every episode. So Chakotay is not going to talk about his dad, you know, at the drop of a hat that that is fair. Right, and I and I think that that if the mystery of this symbol being on the alien planet having it turn out to be the, I guess, descendants of the people that went to Earth to uplift the native peoples, <laughs> I, they have a nice moment at the end of the episode. If that's a little bit of a, if it's a little bit of a coincidence, well, okay, I don't really care about that that much. It is a television show after all. Yeah, but but I do I do wonder about. 
I, I guess what, yeah, you're right. Like what we're supposed to get from this episode is the revelation that Chakotay was not always this spiritual person who was fighting against the, 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 the Federation. He was someone who really wanted to live in the Federation. He was someone who wanted to go to Starfleet Academy. He really, it, 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 it I think it makes his character a little bit clear because yeah. I think one of the things that I've always said about Chakotay on this podcast and something that I've always wondered about him is how easily he fell back into the Starfleet way of doing things. And if nothing else, if all the other problems that this episode has at least it gives us an explanation for, for why that is. Yes, it wasn't his own home, per se, that he was fighting for. He is honoring his father, and certainly he, again, he's in a place where that working in the Maquis makes no sense and where the really important goal is shipwide unity and getting home. So yeah, it, it, it now does make sense that he is willing to drop it because that's not where he was from in a way. Yeah, and I mean, I think that in general, too, if if daddy issues are kind of a lame like, yeah. reason reason for doing something or uprooting your entire life, I, I guess I'm not that concerned with it either. I, I think that yeah, it, give, it gives us about as good as explanation as any as to why Chakotay is the way he is. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I would even phrase it as daddy issues because it's not like he has angst about this. He seems to, at least by the point uh, that we meet Chakotay, he has made his peace and he has figured his shit out. And he's got, you know, if we had met him 10 years before, sure, we would probably call them daddy issues at that point. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Now, we we haven't talked about the B-plot. I, I don't know how much there is to say about it but i guess we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it because it exists well yeah, uh, yeah. this is no go- well you know I, I it's interesting that you know the doc so the doctor maybe has dialed back a couple points on compassion for the purposes of this episode uh he is a little bit more of a dick you know a little more in line with his very early characterization but um the, the episode makes a point that is is a point that I feel very connected to in that one is able to understand other people's suffering if one has suffered himself. I mean, this is I, – I, I've been saying for a while, like, I want Paul Ryan and his entire family to get malignant cancer because I want them to suffer, to feel the pain of actually what it is like to be really fucking sick and scared and all of that. I mean, this was – it was interesting watching this episode because the doctor is able to get that bit of insight. He is not able to be detached and just view it as something distant that's not actually hurting anybody because, you know, what is pain? It doesn't really matter. He does begin to get a very visceral – uh understanding of illness in this um i like kess's quote-unquote prank and the way she actually enforces that on there um yeah i i guess that's about the most that there is for me to say about it i mean i I agree with you but i i also think it's it's nice that the the doctor is 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 interested in in becoming a better person i think that's a very sort of star trek thing to to be concerned with well but but i think it's funny because at the beginning he 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 does this experiment not he's not doing this to uh i think it's funny because he doesn't say oh i'm doing this to understand stuff that is what ends up happening to him he 
But he's almost he he says he's doing this to show the rest of the crew that you can function when you're sick, and it's not a big deal. Like he, oh, that's true. He yeah. even goes about it in a very kind of dicky doctor way, which I think is hilarious. I mean, he is determined to learn the exact wrong lesson from this, and which in a way is part of why I admire Kiss's decision to extend the illness because she's like, no, you you are learning the proper lesson from this, sir. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I kind of misread that. But I also think that, I mean, I don't know. I, I always I always find this B story kind of strange because it has absolutely no connection to, to Chakotay's story. Uh, and, and it also seems to be harkening back to a very old, like, well, yeah. I guess not that old, but a very TNG style of, of storytelling, which even Voyager hasn't really done. I mean, episodes have B plots rarely in this show so far, but they're at least somewhat connected to what's going on. Whereas this one is just like, Hey, here's a wacky thing that the doctor's doing this week. Which Okay, fine. I find the doctor entertaining. I have no problem with this. But, but what I really like about this is, uh, and I was thinking about this while watching this episode and then, and then cold fire is that Cass is actually, uh, if not my favorite character on the show, She's one of them. I'm I'm really liking her. I will be very curious to talk about I, I don't again, I don't know when she leaves the show, but I mean I'm thinking about when uh uh, uh um, Denise Crosby left the show, she said it was because, you know, Tasha Yar wasn't given anything interesting to do and and the reason behind Gates McFadden's leaving the show was is apparently shrouded in mystery, but certainly Doctor Crusher in the early, in the first season was not a very interesting character but Kess has a lot to do and she has a lot of interesting things to do and they are you know again the more that they get away from the Mary Sue-ness of her and they start to go into how weird she is because between yeah <laughs> again between the pregnancy episode and cold fire Kess's body is a very weird and fascinating thing let's say um I'm surprised and, that- and also and and also just that I think Kess is 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 shaping up as the, as you're right like as they've gotten more comfortable with the actress and I think as they've gotten more comfortable yeah. with with getting away from her sort of you know elfin perfection that that she had in the first you know few episodes of the show she's become a much more interesting character she's become much more dynamic she's become much more uh, uh interesting she's uh she's funny she's sardonic she's um she's warm when she needs to be but i i mean i would like to be her friend she seems like a nice person but she also seems like she's probably fun to be with yeah so I don't know if that is getting away from the Mary Sueness of the character i mean i don't really see that she I has think you could make many a- faults I think you can make a character that's just a good, nice, cool, fun person and not necessarily be a Mary Sue. Again, we, we she was a little too good to be true in the fir- her first few episodes, but I think she's come into a much more well-rounded character. And if she is a particularly great character in terms of how people like her, well, that is – that that's kind of okay. I, 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 I I can't dislike her, so it doesn't. In in a way, it almost doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, maybe the last thing to to mention before we move on to Cold Fire uh, is we get a mention of Captain Sulu in yes. this episode in the flashbacks, and I don't know what sense that makes whatsoever because even a, let's assume that Chakotay is fifty. 
in those flashbacks, let's say he's yeah. 15, so we're talking about 35 years before this, which would have been like 20, like the mid 2330s. Sulu would be like extremely old at that point, so I don't know if he would still be an acting cat, like an like an actual like captain out in the world. No, but but, but the and the because they said Captain Sulu sponsored his admission to the academy, and so I I mean the the implication I it, it is possible that Sulu himself had maybe retired and yet knew. You know, somehow, uh, I guess my question is, even if he had retired, how does Chakotay know him? But Right, that uh, was my other question. uh, Again, it doesn't seem like, well, you know, Sulu was my teacher, he was my mentor. No, he was the guy. Well, Chakotay was a big fan of the original series, as you all were, so. So he he got, uh, well, I mean, we see a naked Chakotay, and I can certainly see why uh, George Takei would be interested in... uh, Sadly enough, I, I do have to disabuse you of that a little bit. That was not actually Robert Beltran. That uh, was a body double. Well, uh, the point is, um, uh, uh, assuming it was a good body double, you know, but 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 the point is, you know, it, Sulu wrote the letter of recommendation and talked to a couple of people he knew. That's yeah. that was his role in getting Chakotay into the academy. Maybe you know he helped him out with a couple classes and things, but he wasn't an active. You know he wasn't. A, I, he doesn't necessarily need to be an active captain anymore for that too. That that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I, I lie. There's one other thing. I we would also be remiss if we did not mention briefly uh, that Neelix and Tuvok Aww. both like to breed orchids, and so they are going to uh, get gay married and live happily ever after at some point in the near future. I love. I, I really. I I had. I know we joked a lot about Tuvok before going into this, and no, he's not my favorite character but i really like the way tim russ plays him because he i don't know during that scene when neelix is basically we both do orchids let's let let's have orchid fun together we can you know discuss tips tim russ very deliberately refuses to have a reaction to this and you know exactly what his reaction that he's (laughs) refusing to have is again i love the fact that he is playing uh, he is not playing Tuvok as emotionless. He has a lot of emotions that he is refusing to show, and it is very obvious what they are, and I love that. I think that's a good place to leave Tattoo. Let's move on to Cold Fire. Now, you see, this is a strange placement for this episode because this does feel like a season finale in a lot of ways. It's a big episode in terms of... Uh, I I have no idea whether we will meet Suspiria again, whether we will meet any of the Nassine uh, again. It doesn't matter. Either way, this is a major beat from the pilot of pilot episode, and it is also a major development in Kess and her story and what she really is and her psychic powers. Again, for it to just be a random in the middle of the season episode felt a little strange to me. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that in general, I mean, we had I had mentioned before that that because you had this whole theory about how the search for the second caretaker was going to be like the arc of the series. Yeah. And I wanted to disabuse you of that notion. And and I knew this episode was was coming fairly yeah. early in the show's run as well. I mean, this is only the I think the 10th episode of the second season. So we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, a very long time here. 
what what I find so interesting about this in general is that if, you know one of the things that they always said was they put the idea of the second caretaker in the pilot because they wanted to have an out right yeah they they wanted to have a way for Voyager to get back to the Alpha Quadrant and go zipping around dealing with Romulans and Klingons again if the ratings were not supporting this concept and so putting this episode so early in the show's run and and essentially getting rid of that idea getting rid of the out. Uh, indicates to me that that they were maybe comfortable with the show at this point, comfortable with the concept, and they felt like they didn't need to save that anymore. Yeah, I mean they do because s- well, the, 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 because I think that that this is a really strong episode for Cass and the idea of them finding the second caretaker, finding the second caretaker with a bunch of Ocampa and having that be the impetus for Cass to develop her telekinetic abilities a little more. I think is a better use of the second caretaker frankly they do still leave the door open a crack suspiria is not killed or anything she leaves she has i mean if 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 it tanked and they really wanted to do that they could meet suspiria again and she's been shaken by but you showed me mercy why would you do that and finally they can finish converting her over to understanding the federation i mean that that could be a thing right but I I, sure. I I have no idea if they will or not. It doesn't matter. But yeah, it, it, it's but but you are right. It, it, it's used to a better purpose because they are, you know, while while certainly there is more they could do with the Delta Quadrant and all of that. I think they are getting what mileage they can out of. It's going to, I mean, frankly, the should we have a generation ship and maybe, you know, what do we need to do about that and what is, you know, if we really are going to be here 75 years is a much more interesting major arc for this for the story than simply, well, we've got to find someone to take us home and we might. Right. We've got to find this MacGuffin alien and get us home as quickly as possible. I, I think that's right. And, I, you know, I, the caretaker, I think, is the least interesting part of this episode. Yeah. I. I, I don't, frankly, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care why she brought all these Okampa and had like a second space station. I, I don't, I don't know why she's kind of, um, I don't even know what the term is necessarily because I don't want to use the term evil or, or no, crazy or anything loaded like that. But you, she is somebody who appreciates and understands power, right? I think the, the, the caretaker is, so the caretaker, so the caretaker creates or has this colony of Ocampa, and he has – there are certain limits to the Ocampa. They only live nine years. They don't have any psychic abilities, etc., etc., etc. Suspiria is somebody who wants these things taken to their limit just because they can. In other words, you know, she, she wants the Ocampa to develop their psychic abilities because why wouldn't you? You know, you have this, you have this right. thing, you know, exercises. And, whereas the initial caretaker maybe is seeing the danger that we find out in this episode from where this can go. Um, again, Kess only a few days into lessons is burning down things left and right is almost killing people. <laughs> so give her a few more years of study. That could be power that is too dangerous. The caretaker could have some legitimate reasons for limiting this stuff. Suspiria seems like the kind of god who is not interested in 
you know, giving a little Edenic thing for paradise and you live nine years and they're all very happy and peaceful and that's, and then you expire quietly in your sleep. Suspiria kind of wants the worshippers and the power and the exciting and the drama, right? I, I think... Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I guess the other part of that as well, of course, is is the caretaker... Well, Suspiria was the caretaker's mate. Now, we don't know what the, the caretaker's name was. Yeah. Um, I don't think. So we we kind of have to, to leave that aside. But I guess maybe what you're supposed to think is that the, the, the second caretaker, Suspiria, their relationship ended not because of any inherent reasons in the relationship, but maybe because Suspiria had different ideas about how to best save the Ocampa. I mean, listen, the fact that she's named Suspiria is so fucking on the nose, but um, well, yeah. I'm surprised the episode didn't full on name her Lilith, right? I mean, that's the kind of that's the archetype for her in my head. Yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that. I mean, I I think that that uh, uh, it, I don't know because what what is she really doing though? I, I, because she she has helped the Ocampa. They yeah. do say that they've been there a really long time. So she she's letting them. She's she's engaging in them on some level. She's she's doing these genetic experiments, coming up with these medical treatments so that the Ocampa can live longer. And the she's ones- also helping them develop their their uh, mental abilities more. But then she also lives on this like other plane, and and uh, what's his name, Talus, and the other Ocampa don't really know where she is most of the time. So it seems kind of nebulous about how much exactly she's involved in their lives anymore. It seemed to me that the fundamentally what this might come down to is the caretaker from the pilot of Voyager was very focused on the idea of the Ocampa as helpless and needing protection, whereas Suspiria perhaps felt or thought that the best way forward for the Ocampa after the disaster that they had caused was to is to give the Ocampa the ability to take care of themselves I mean yeah I she is unquestionably an antagonist in this episode but in a lot of ways she's not again you're right she's not evil and she's not necessarily wrong I mean no I, I so so when she when they first meet Talus, that's his name. Um, he talcum powder, yeah, talcum powder. Um, and he calls Voyage says Voyager's known in this quadrant as a ship of death. And what does he point out as the reasons that it has? I mean, based on him, it's almost as if people speak of Voyager as a cursed ship of doom. And the points that he mentions, well, you you killed the caretaker, you started a war with the Kazon, and you're raiding planets for the resources. Now, this is the most unfair light <laughs> to look upon all of these. The caretaker died as as they happened to get there. Um, the Kazon, that was inadvertent, and that's largely the Kazon's fault. And the resources, they've never plundered. They've made ne- they've negotiated. They've made deals and all of that. Um, but from Suspiria's point of view, her, you know, whatever the breach between her and the caretaker was she did at one point love him. And from her view, these people came and then he died. So she can put two and two together. They're at war with the Kazon. You know, they must've done something really bad to piss him off. They're taking resources from planets that can't be completely, you know, who would agree to give these people a thing. So she has, she is not wrong for, being frankly terrified of Voyager and wanting right. revenge on them. And it, again, it's another 
reason why they are so vulnerable in the Delta Quadrant. If a ship, if Voyager was in the Alpha Quadrant and somebody had these exact problems with them, number one, they would have the reputation of the Federation behind them to say, well, maybe we should look and see, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. And if not, the Federation has plenty of lawyers who are going to help argue that case. And if Voyager is def- is indeed found to be guilty of these things, you know it's going to be dealt with. They don't have any of these assurances in the Delta Quadrant. They don't know... It, 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 funny enough mentioning Lilith they don't know Voyager from Adam right right yeah well I know I think I think that's all really true but I but I think you can take that even further because what that makes me think of or what that makes me sort of realize is that in a weird way the Delta Quadrant species are kind of the inverse of what we expect from Star Trek because we've always talked about how oh, yeah. the, the the Federation approaches everyone in good faith they don't lie. Uh, there, there's really no sort of subterfuge a lot of the time, aside from like the Romulans, maybe, yeah. right? And that has been the case time and time again that the people coming together in good faith uh, can can come to some sort of resolution that is beneficial to both parties, and that the the Delta Quadrant is not that. And so, what you have in the Delta Quadrant is a bunch of species running around that are not acting in good faith, and that are in a sense they're they're having the exact opposite interpretation of voyager's yeah. actions only because that is the environment in which they live yeah i mean everybody yeah, you're right everybody is very suspicious voyager rarely leaves getting what it wants and usually the best it can hope for is something like the end of this episode where the, the you know the antagonist realizes okay maybe Voyager isn't going to outright murder me so we're all just go- I mean how many Voyager episodes end with both sides just backing away and all right, right we escaped unscathed you know let's let's be grateful for that I mean well because I, I I think if you think about a lot of the episodes I mean I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with Suspiria's I mean I, I actually I am disagreeing with Suspiria and Talus's interpretation yeah. of these events Voyager is not a ship of death I mean we've they are not but we've but, seen the events as they were happening we know exactly how the caretaker died Suspiria doesn't right but but if you think about the alien species that Voyager has has acted in uh, uh, in a sense you know, with the standard Star Trek way of good faith and in saying, Hey, you know what, maybe we're not doing this the right way, or maybe yeah. we're misinterpreting their actions. We're going to back off. Like most of those species were, were either non sentient or non verbal or non communicative. They were sort of like these space. Yeah. There's been a lot of space, uh, 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 living organisms that the, that the ship has been, uh, encountering so far. Yeah. That's been happening a lot. And if you think about the alien species that they have encountered, like the the Nacine, the, the the caretaker, the Okampa, the Kazon, the Vidians, the ones from Prime Factors, uh, the ones from Time and Again who don't even know they exist because they hit the reset button at the end of that episode. But for the most part, the Vidians are 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 assholes that are not acting in good faith because they're well, I guess they are in a sense because they're they're <laughs> honest about what they're trying to do. The the Kazon don't know what they're trying to do. The one in Prime Factors were lying to them. So the only alien species that that could really vouch for the the crew of Voyager's good intentions are ones in which nobody can talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're more like uh, animals in a way. Right, and I mean, I think that my dog thinks I'm a good person, but I don't know that he could vouch for me yeah. in a court of law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, so so leaving that aside, then uh, we we should grapple with with Talis and Cass because this is a pretty good episode yeah. for Cass. Oh yeah, we because I think that that you know you had talked about how okay is the show ever going to remember that that Cass has mental abilities? Yeah, and and I'm kind of like yeah yeah you know they will it's it's kind of all over the place but but they'll get there and obviously they it came up a little bit in not tattoo but in another one i forget which episode and then it comes up again in this episode and it 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 is the case where i think this is again a little bit of an older style of of star trek storytelling we did just come off ds9 yeah they're going to bring up stuff that they're not going to thread it through episodes because that's not what this show is doing but it, i do like the fact that they established that that kes has been working with tuvok to to develop her her telepathic abilities and that Things have not been going great because Kess is not a Vulcan and Vulcans are not necessarily yeah. the best teachers. I also like the fact that Tuvok being a little bit of an impatient bad teacher is something that's continuing throughout the show. <laughs> when was, we first saw that in Learning Curve. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is reminding me of Harry Potter and Snape teaching uh, Occlumency, but you have this dichotomy between uh, Talcum Powder and Tuvok where Tuvok is stressing the discipline aspects of it, right? Um, he is a Vulcan, right. he is a Vulcan and the Vulcan backstory is that we had all of these emotions that were destroying us and we learned how to repress slash control slash discipline slash, you know, them and, Talcum powder is saying, no, you have this power, use it, you know, let it out, just go and, you know, strengthen it. And this is a, Tuvok seems to completely understand that Kes is going to be overwhelmed by her powers and needs to discipline them because that's how he lives his life. And this episode does suggest that discipline is the proper way because when she is, letting the full reign of her powers go before she's quite ready to master them. Bad things are happening. Yeah. Bad things are happening. Like gruesome. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and even further things are implied to be on the horizon because does Talcum keep saying stuff like you're going to transcend all of these people. You're going to be so much beyond them. Once you, these are not good things. These are, this is not the life that, Kess wants for herself. Kess is somebody. Kess wants to be around her friends and loved ones. She is somebody who enjoys being on this ship and being part of this crew and having her work and stuff. She doesn't want to transcend all of this and do whatever she can because she can. Yeah, no, I think that's right because I well, there's two parts to it as well. I think there's there's the part which is extending the the Ocampa's natural lifespan. Talus is 14 years yeah. old. That is obviously, you know, what is that? Uh, uh, you know, fifty percent older than uh, any any Ocampa that Cass has ever known before. Um, and then the other, and that doesn't seem to be much of a problem to me. I mean, no, in, in this in this Star Trek universe, humans live to be one hundred and fifty years old, so whatever, it's fine. Uh, that is not something that I necessarily have a problem with. But the the other part of that, of course, is that for Cass, her mental abilities are something that were sort of. You know, you had said earlier that that the Ocampa did not have the mental abilities, and I think I recall that Kess said something when they first surfaced in Time and Again that there were stories and yeah. you know amongst her people that the Ocampa used to have these sort of mental abilities, and they were very ill defined at that point. Obviously, she was sort of hearing things from people that were dead or hadn't existed or whatever. 
And now it's just more like straight up telepathy, uh, you know, until we get to the telekinesis and things like that. But but on the other hand, you can certainly see that would be where Tuvok would go with it first, because in terms of physical harm you can do to the world, telepathy is going to hurt, going to cause a lot less damage, especially with somebody like Kess, who has shown to have discretion and responsibility. Something sure. like telekinesis, which, you know, it. Learning how to boil something and create heat wherever you want it to is something that, if you're not fully ready for it, as we see, can can go very awry. And so I think he is starting small, baby steps. Just listen to what your boyfriend is thinking while well, he gets a haircut, <laughs> and then maybe you can, you know, maybe in a month you can say something to another person, and maybe in another year you can, you know, and five years from now. We can start. Oh wait, you're an Ocampo, so you're dead. Never mind. Like that. That <laughs> I. 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 And you can certainly see a desire to do all of this very quickly with a nine-year or even a fourteen-year lifespan. The feeling that there is so much more. You know, this art so long, this life so short with one's psychic abilities and. You know, go and do everything you can because you have such a short time. You might as well learn how to do everything in your brief time here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also think, I mean, this just might be me spinning my wheels a little bit, but I I, I do think that there is something to be said for the idea that for the Ocampa, uh, the challenge of life is not in learning things necessarily because it seems like they all have eidetic memories. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more. It, it makes sense that they have these these additional mental abilities because that is going to be the thing that challenges them in life, perhaps. And and part of the reason why the Okampa that Kess come from seems so lost is because they have really they they don't know what they're living for because they don't have these mental abilities and so they're not challenged in any way to learn how to use them. I mean, you you can't really. You you can't study to run a marathon. You you need to like train yeah. for a long time. There there's no way to to intellectualize that experience in the same way that it doesn't seem like there's a way to intellectualize learning telepathy or telekinesis. Yeah, I mean we're we're I'm not sure if you would say that the Akampa in general uh are lost because they from what we've heard of Kess talking about it. Everybody seems to have these very gentle, simple lives, right? You mate for life. You have your child at the age of four. There's this bonding ceremony with parent and child. It's a very peaceful, cyclical existence. Kess herself is somebody who wants more than that, and she goes on to Voyager because she wants more than that. There, She is probably not the only Akampa who feels that way. Maybe there have been others who have left, but um, it does seem like generally – for most of the Acampo, life is pretty okay. The caretaker provides everything. Uh, they have their home. It's perfectly designed for them, and yeah. they have their generational continuity. Now, with the caretaker dead, I don't know how apocalyptic things are getting back at at, at home, and I would imagine they're probably begin. It's about a year later. They're probably beginning to get very terrible, but I don't know. Maybe they should all live on the Ocampa space station. You know, that that would be a thing. Well, yeah, I think so. And I, you know, the one thing that I do wonder though is, you know, what does this episode tell us about about Cass though? Because it, it certainly indicates to me that that Cass, like you said, she wanted more out of life, and that's why she left Voyager. She she 
uh, uh, is different from a lot of other Okampa in that she is dating someone of a different species. Yeah. Uh, she, she wants to be challenged in many different ways. And I think initially the, the, um, the idea of living on the space, the idea of living on the space station with Talos and the other, the other, you know, uh, a telekinetic Okampa was, was appealing to her because it would be challenging. But as she started to see what it would really mean, and also the the fact that they did seem to be a bit small minded. Yeah, well they, they they are they certainly love being Okampa, don't they? Um I mean there was right. the, you know there's the uh, I I will talk properly about uh Neelix's jealousy issues in a second, but the point when she's saying, "Oh, you know, if I go on the station, would you live with me?" uh I mean, there's no fucking way they would let Neelix be on that station, is there? I mean, he would have a horrible no. time. Uh, no, I mean, they don't seem to want anybody to go on the station. Yeah, they don't even want to get communicate. You know, they have to. It, it is on. Kess is the only reason they even respond to their hails, really. Well, they certainly. I mean, they respond to their hails, but but yeah, yeah, they 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 they, they, yeah. they, they, they don't immediately they don't immediately hang up the phone when they <laughs> see Cass. I, I think that's right. Well, well, let's talk about Neelix then, because that's really yeah. the last thing we have to to grapple with in this episode. And uh, you know, I I think that that Neelix has uh, seem seemingly come to terms yeah. with his jealousy. Uh, you know, there is a little there. There is a moment when he is a little sad when he realizes Kess is invited to this place with her people and she's going to learn so much and of course she would want to go there and again he he does certainly understand that he is going to lose her but he is relatively quickly able to get in this into a you know I'm happy for you and if you want to go live on there and they do very again the fact that she very quickly says, "Oh, I'd want you to live with me." I think does affirm that thing that he finally realized the other week, which is that you know she's made her choice. She wants to be with Neelix. She is, you know, it, it, yeah. It, it doesn't matter that there's all these flash that Tom Paris is flashier. She's made her choice, and so you know, Kes does kind. Of, I mean, I think it's interesting that Kess is trying to have the best of both worlds with this. All right, I could live with the with the Okampa and learn so much, and still have my boyfriend who I love. Yeah, well, and I think that that you know maybe that's the last thing to say is that it, it, it's a little it, it does you know Kess is still young and obviously yeah. she's still learning, and it, it's a little bit naive for her to think that that she can have her cake and eat it too. That that she wants Neil that that she wants Neelix to go live on the space station with her, I think is very, very touching. Yeah. But it's it's probably not realistic. And it also may be the case that she doesn't realize it's not realistic partially because of her experiences on Voyager. Because yeah. here's a here's a ship of, of all kinds of different species that when when Neelix and Kess wanted to come, they were like, all right, sure, come on, let let's go. So she's not really aware of uh, uh, more insular cultures in a certain sense, yeah. even though she is kind of the product of one. But yeah, in in both in, in the Acampa home world, she didn't feel in place there, but they wanted her there. They made a home for her, and it was home for the first year and a half of her life. Um, and if she were to show back up on their doorstep, she would be welcomed back instantly. And yeah, in Voyager, so yeah, her 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 entirety of life has been people welcoming and loving her. And so it 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 is that kind of she's had it so good that she doesn't necessarily understand sometimes that people have it bad. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And yet, you know, it's in her discussions with the doctor, she is the she does have a remarkable reserve of empathy and love for people, so while she's a Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah. I do have a fan theory though, because during the Suspiria scenes when she's talking with the adult voice, that's Baylock's gimmick. I think Baylock is in the scene. <laughs> Well, it's certainly possible. Uh, I'll go with it. I'll say yes. I agree with you. Yay! All right. Well, I think that's it for Tattoo and Cold Fire. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast. Why don't you? At trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which also supports our other podcast tuning in. In two days, we are releasing our episode on the X-Files episodes, very important episodes, not to sound like Trump, uh, Dwayne Barry and Ascension. So do go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and also go to tuninginshow.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those social media platforms. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review. We have a new review. (gasps) I didn't know this. I know you didn't, but you know now. So uh, this comes to us from Podcast Junkie 7, who says, No recap, summary, or ads, just sober, deep analysis from unique perspectives that honor the Star Trek world. Well, thank you very much for that review. And if you like more reviews, you can learn Juicy Brand Orange Juice, which was, is the best juice in the world. Right, Eric? I- <laughs> Would you like to sleep better? We all would. Why don't you check out a Casper mattress? (laughs) See, Richard doesn't listen to podcasts, so he doesn't know any of the companies that actually advertise on podcasts, but I know all of them because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I, I, um, Mark Marin does that coffee. Uh, yeah, but that was a long time ago and you're, you're not listening to WTF anymore, are you? I haven't been in a while. That's, that's really the only podcast I ever listened to for a little while. I mean, really, here's the thing. Who wants to hear two assholes talking for an hour? Apparently a lot. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Well, thank you very much. Podcast junkie seven for that review. It is appreciated. And if you would like to be as cool and wonderful as him or her or, Whatever their preferred gender profile is, profile gender pronoun is. We've been talking for a while, and it is almost. It's time for my dinner. Uh, Please do go to iTunes and leave us a review. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes. Surprise, surprise! That is not the name of the episode. Oh, that would be great. Maneuvers and resistance. It's about Pilates. (laughs) 